Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Hi Trinity. So this Sunday we are starting our Lent series. Lent 2021 is here already. Can you believe it? This Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday. And every Lent we take the time, as the church has traditionally done, to contemplate, reflect, to stop and think about where we are at with our relationship with God. And for this Lent coming up, we want to take the next seven weeks to centralise our thoughts around a core practice of the church, which is reading, meditating upon and obeying the Bible. We want to re-centralise the Bible in our thoughts over the next seven weeks. Our passionate conviction is that this book is a book of life. It is an energy-giving book. It is a saving book. We believe that this book is the book through which God speaks to us as people. Our passionate belief is that this book is not simply a book for Christians. This isn't just, hey, if you want to be a Christian, this is how you be a Christian. Our passionate belief is that this book speaks to humanity, that this is a book for men and women everywhere. It speaks to the deepest desires, the issues and the problems of our day, the biggest questions that we have about where we came from and where we're going. This book speaks to humanity. And this series is entitled, Bring Out the Book. And uh, there was an old advert, Ron Seals Woodstain. It does what it says on the tin. This series does what it says on the tin. My hope and my prayer is that over the next seven weeks, this phrase would start to get into your heart and your mind. Bring out the book. My prayer is that we would stop scrolling so much and bring out the book. That we might stop putting so much Netflix on on an evening and we might bring out the book. That we might set an alarm in the morning so that we can bring out the book. I'm praying that over these seven weeks, and what we're going to do is we're going to pick out seven different passages that speak about the scriptures, speak about the blessing of the Bible, the power and the beauty of the Bible. And as we do this, my prayer is that our hearts would grow in a longing to know what God has told us of himself in this book. David says this about the Bible. He says, more to be desired are they, that's the words of God, um, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. This book is more precious than gold. This is more precious than owning a lot of stuff in this world knowing God himself through this book. We believe this is the gateway to power and beauty through God in this life. And may we bring out the book. That phrase incidentally comes from Nehemiah chapter eight, when God's people are in the middle of a spiritual renewal. And there was this revival going on, this growing passion again. And what was expressed in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2 as this great crowd gathered together to Ezra was bring out the book. They didn't want to just know thoughts of a man. They wanted to know God's thoughts. Bring out the book. So what I want to do as we just start here is I want to pray. Um, 
I want to pray that God supernaturally implants desire in our hearts. And I want to say if you're watching and you're not a Christian and you're just interested maybe or you're skeptical, someone's invited you to watch this video, then I want to pray for you as well. And I want to invite you to pray. And just this simple prayer, if God has spoken through a book and this book, as it purports, contains the words of eternal life that could take you through death into a life more more glorious than you could imagine. If that is possibly true, God, would you reveal yourself to me? So let me just pray. Father, I believe you've spoken to me through this book. I have experienced your glory, your mercy as I've opened this book. And I'm praying right now that you would pour out mercy, pour out grace as the pages of the Bible are opened across Trinity Church London. I pray for anyone watching right now who's not a Christian. Lord, would you open eyes, would mercy be poured out? And I'm praying, Lord, very practically, would more Bible be read? Would more Bible be memorised? Would more Bible be obeyed because of this series? Bring out the book, we pray. Fan into flame a love for you through your word, I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to start in Psalm 1. This is our first passage. So if you've got a Bible, uh, as Nam's read, thank you. Psalm 1. And <clears throat> when we come to the Bible very often, we can come, I think, too religiously. I think we can come and we can, you know, when you read, when you watch kind of sitcoms and stuff like that, there's um, uh, like the, the vicar is there and it's a very religious affair. If someone's getting married, like on EastEnders or something like that, it's always the most dreariest kind of event that you could imagine. And some ineffectual man at the front or woman is there leading this service and uh, it, it's dry and religious. And sometimes we can read Words like blessed in that kind of context. You can kind of imagine, blessed be the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed. Blessed be the man. And we can read it in this kind of religious way. But for the readers of the Bible in Hebrew, when they were originally getting this, blessed was not a dry, grey, dreary word that was read every now and again in a church service. The idea of being blessed was a rich word that had connotations of happiness and joy and abundance and peace and fullness. Blessed in the Bible has this sense of a growing kind of sparking explosion type filling of the human soul. This is a thing I would suggest that all of us, if we were offered it, we would put our hands up and say, I want it. This blessing speaks to the heart of joy, delight. This is something that we want. And the Bible speaks to this continually. I mean, here's just some stats for you. The Bible continually talks about joy 203 times. Peace, 375. God God's delight, 111. Us being blessed, this happiness, this joy, 600 times. Over 200 times talks about rejoicing. And all of these come together and in a sense are summed up by this word blessed. It's what we have that fills our soul. So when you take joy and peace, put them together and flood a soul with it, you will say, I'm blessed. And Psalm 1 
is a very deliberate place where the psalmist starts. Some people think that the psalms are kind of like just a hymnal. Today, if we put a hymns together in a book um, and we have a hymnal for church, like if, you, if you're back in the day, songs of fellowship, one, two, three, four, or mission praise, if you remember that. If you grew up in church in the 80s, those who know, know. And what, what, what they had then is that the, 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 the songs and the hymns were arranged alphabetically. So it was kind of like neither here nor there where the actual song was arranged in the book. But the Psalms are different. They are not arranged alphabetically. The Psalms are arranged theologically. So from Psalm 100 to Psalm 150, the Psalmists have a deliberate journey that they are taking people on, marked out by five different books. And the journey starts at ground zero in the word of God. The blessing of God comes through the word of God and it ends with this growing crescendo towards Psalm 150, where there was this great outbreak of praise and worship. So let me just read some of Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. With the trumpet sound, with lute and the harp and the tambourine and dancing and praise him with strings and pipes, praise him with clanging, sorry, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If we were Pentecostal right now, with the organist would be going nuts and we would all be dancing down the aisles. There is this progression that happens to this crescendo of explosion of praise and worship at the end of the Psalms. And it's a very deliberate thing because when the soul gets blessed through the word of God, there will be a growing overflow and that overflow looks like praise and worship. So we can just just think for ourselves in our lives. You know, when the seasons when we don't actually like praise and worship. And some people, they, they, they've told me they don't like praising God in church because it's maybe not their personality type or their temperament or they're not really into the music. It could just be that our lack of desire of praise and worship is not a temperament thing. It's not because, well, I'm not musical it's not because that's just not my personality. It could be because we have a deficit of the Bible and blessing in our soul. There is no overflow. Because when the psalmist tell us, when our life is grounded in the word of God and we are blessed, there will be an overflow. We will get to Psalm 150 and there will be praise and worship. This is what it means to be blessed. The opposite of blessed is really important. And all of this comes from the Bible, which is why we're talking about this. The opposite of blessed is, is important to know because in verse four of the psalm, it says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the stuff like the, the, the kernel, the shell of grains and cereals that farmers would winnow out and let the kind of the wind just blow away. And the opposite of a blessed life is a chaff-like life that is driven away. A chaff is, is literally empty. It's hollow. It is a, a redundant life. It's a meaningless life. Chaff is left. There is no use for chaff. It just gets in the way and wind eventually disperses it and it's gone. So the opposite of blessing is chaff, it's emptiness and meaningless. It's a, it's a horrifying thought to get to old age and have this said over us that that was a chaff-like life, essentially empty and was no good for anything. 
It would drive us to desire a blessed life. I want to live a blessed life. And this blessing, we're told, is not just for good times. This blessing isn't just about, hey, my life's going well, I'm blessed. This is an inner blessing that sits within the soul that carries on through the good times and the bad times. So he says in verse three, he is like a tree that is the blessed man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So there is an ability when you are blessed to live through times like COVID and still experience the riches of joy and peace in your soul, that your internal blessing is not accounted for by your external circumstance, that your circumstances do not dictate the state of your soul. This is the blessed man of Psalm 1, so that you can walk through life, and if times are good or bad, it is not an indicator of what is going on in your soul, because you are drawing from a place that is deeper, A place that people can't see, but is giving you strength. And the crazy thing is this, is that this blessed life doesn't just keep us for this life, but takes us through the doorway of death and into the other side. That when he says that the, 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 um, that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. This means that you can be gloriously fruitful, even as you are on your deathbed, moving Second by second towards your death, death, you can be bearing fruit and death does not diminish your blessing. But you can walk through death and find yourself in a place of blessing and fruitfulness. He hinted this at the end of the psalm. He says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Why? Because they're chaff, the merest breath of God and they're gone nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He's looking at this final day, this judgment day, and even on this day, the righteous will stand because they're blessed. Their roots are drawing from a place that is not in this world in the first place. It is in the words of God who exists from eternity past into eternity future. So the question, how do we get this blessing? How do we live with this kind of deep, meaningful fullness of peace and joy? And the psalmist tells us, it's really two things. We step away from the counsel of the wicked, the the culture of the day, and we step into the life of the Bible. He says this firstly at the beginning, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This isn't a call to living as a hermit. This isn't a call to withdrawing from life because we know from the history of God's people through the Bible and Jesus himself that this was not the call. This is something different here. He's talking about do not allow your mind to get soaked in the ways of the wicked, in the ways of the contemporary culture don't allow your mindset to be shaped by those around you don't allow your uh your worldview be shaped by the worldview of those around you the culture today is preaching to us all the time 
we'd be naive to think that just watching a Netflix show is neutral. I just want to switch off. It's not neutral. Nothing is neutral. Everyone is coming with an agenda. Every producer, every director, every decision that's made on what advert, TV, click, everything, there is intention behind it. And our culture today is telling us that there is a life that you can have that exists without the presence of God. We are being told all the time that you can achieve a happiness, a joy, a satisfaction. You can achieve the thing that you want without the presence or the activity of God in your life. And we need to stay away from that thinking. And then the positive, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Where does this blessing come from? It comes from meditating on this book, from grounding our mind and our soul deep in the soil of the life of this book. From putting roots deep down in this book. The psalmist here calls it meditating. And uh, it's actually becoming increasingly popular now. The thought of meditation, mindfulness, to take a moment of mindfulness in the morning. It's actually quite a, a popular thing today. But meditating on the Bible is slightly different. It's not emptying our minds so that we might experience a, a, a sense um, of peace in the world through nothing, through an absence. And nor is it thinking about just something in this world that we might focus on. Meditating on the law day and night is flooding our mind and chewing over in our mind the words that are contained in this book. Eugene Peterson talks about meditation as, as like a dog with a bone. If you ever see a dog with a bone, they gnaw the bone. They, 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 they're the kind of purring, growling that happens over the bone. And they chew the bone and they turn the bone over and they get it from every angle and they suck everything out of it and they chew and they, they, they are over the bone. And it is a repetitive thing and they sit with it, turning the bone over and gnawing it and gnawing it and gnawing it. And Eugene Peterson talks about biblical meditation in the same way. That to biblically meditate is an active thing where we are like a dog with a bone and we take the words of scripture and we turn it over and we chew it and we gnaw it and we get all the goodness out of it and we enjoy the process actively. And we are called day and night to meditate on these words. So it's going to look different for for different people but there are some core practices that we would be silly to ignore if we want to get the fullness of the blessing of God from the word of God the church has practiced many different things over centuries even from the days of Israel the Israel's kings were told to write out the whole of the Pentateuch the first five books of the Lord. These are not, these, these, this is not like John 3, 16 on repeat. These were difficult verses. They were told to literally write out by hand. And I think there is something biblical and powerful about writing parts of the Bible out by hand. 
So I want to encourage you, one way of meditating is literally, if you're reading something and there's a phrase or there's a Bible verse, don't just leave it read out loud, but write it down in a journal. Literally, just write it down. There is something that connects biologically uh, with, with our brain that helps us process, that helps us understand, meditate upon this. Scripture memorization is a core practice of the church. The way we take, it may just be a phrase. If even a verse is too much, start with a phrase and say, I'm going to commit this to my mind so that wherever I am, I can bring out the book. Wherever I'm sat, where I'm at my desk and emails or in the middle of a, another Zoom meeting, I can bring out the book because I have a phrase of the word of God m- memorized in my mind. I'm bringing out the book now. I'm chewing it over. I'm turning that phrase over. I'm getting the juices out of that phrase. And you can do it together. One of the things that Micah and I have done, because it's just me, I take Micah to school at the moment and Kiki's at, uh, um, so I take Micah to school, Kiki's at home. Me and Micah are memorizing Psalm 23 together. So he always loves, I've got like 10 minutes, nine to 10 minutes with him on his walk to school. And he always wants me to tell him a story. And it's normally around uh, about a wither storm and bazookas and guns. And if you're wondering what a wither storm is, you need to know Minecraft and those who know, know. So um, I will tell him, I will tell you a story about a wither storm and a bazooka. Um, but first we're going to memorize Psalm 23. He's almost got it. He just got verses five and six now. And I'll just start, I'll tell him, I'll, I'll start the verse off and he has to finish it. And slowly I just take away words and words. And he's got the first of all four verses and he needs to get five and six now. And then we're going to move on to another Psalm. He's memorizing. We are like two dogs with a bone. We are turning the words over. We're looking at them. We're memorizing them. And these words are going to be the the source of power in our life. We can do it together. We take the the Bible on walks with us to stick it in our ears and have it read to us. There are so many ways, but we need to be actively engaged. We cannot sit back passively and think one sermon once a week is going to help me meditate on the word of God and have the blessing that this psalm talks about. It is going to involve each of us independently, deliberately, intently, like a dog with a bone going after the word of God. The scriptures here say this this interesting thing. He says in verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And I remember when I was like 14, 15, 16, if you told me, Daniel, what I'd really like you to do is delight, like take great joy in the Bible. I would have looked at you utterly blankly. I mean, I might have been like, honestly, quite rude with you through my silence, to be honest, looking back at what I was back then. But never mind. Um, I would just like, I'm not delighting in the Bible because I associated the Bible with grey, dreary, moral, killjoy type life. This was not a book where I found happiness. This was a book that just seemed to suppress life. That was my feeling. So how, how would you get to a place where you wake up in the morning and one of the first thoughts in your heart is bring out the book, Daniel, because there is great delight in that book. How do you get to that place? And, and, the, the way we 
come to this and the way we foster delight in the Bible is not through trying to manufacture some fake emotion, but it's actually coming to the Bible and understanding the Bible's purpose correctly. Because many people think that the purpose of the Bible is to tell us how to be a Christian and how to be moral. How, what are the things you should do and what are the things you shouldn't do? And the, the, today's prevailing culture will tell us that to follow this book is to have your life suppressed, not to have it liberated and filled with delight. If this Bible were a list of things to do and don't do, then you will struggle to find delight in this book. But if this Bible is actually an explanation of the mercies and the blessings and the graces of God that he gives to us as a free gift, it will change our pursuit of the Bible. If I open this Bible wanting to find more things that I should and shouldn't do in my Monday morning, there's, there's not going to be any delight here. But if I open this Bible seeking the mercy of God over my life, seeking blessing over my life, seeking to receive something from God, even himself, there will be a growing delight as I read the sparkling joy of God in these pages. I wake up in the morning, I get a coffee, as strong as I can humanly manage to wake my body up so that my soul can then follow. And then sometimes I go for my second coffee and then I open the Bible. I bring out the book. And I'm bringing out the book not to find ways in which I can achieve a right standing so that I can be blessed. But I open the book so that I can receive blessing from these words. So that I can sit under the waterfall of the blessings of God and receive from him. I'm not coming to achieve something so that I can tick off my daily Bible reading. I'm coming because I'm desperately needing of blessing. I desperately need peace and joy in my life to have my life repurposed once again to get a glimpse of the vision of the glory of God once again. So I open this book to receive blessing. And when we come to the Bible with that, there will be a growing and sometimes at first quiet delight. But from my experience now, I began reading the Bible actively when I was 17. So 21 years ago now. After 21 years of what was a like a sparkler like joy, as I found God in the Bible, has become a deepening and widening river of blessing in my life. And I can testify to the experience that this is only getting better and better. The delight, the joy, the peace, the repurposing, the glory that I see in this book is only got better and I just want to encourage you for a moment because especially and especially if you are younger and you can read you can classify yourself in that but especially if you are younger you are prone and wired by the culture today to think that one one bible reading and you should have explosive joy in the presence of God like we are wired to think about instantaneous spiritual results and yet the scriptures actually talk about a walk with God. So there will be moments and glimpses. 
but we need to pursue God on a daily basis and the the river of blessing will grow in depth and breadth. It will not happen overnight. But as you increasingly plant your life in the soil of the scriptures, you will receive deep blessing. And I want to close with this. Because we come to the Bible not to try and achieve blessing, but to receive blessing. And this blessing is found in a person, in God himself. And this psalm, I just want to use this really as a test case to show you that all of scripture is, is about God and his glory. It is not about us. We don't find ourselves first and foremost here. We find God first and foremost. And this psalm tells us that, that we are finding a person in this book. Because this psalm starts with this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man. And we're prone to try and think of ourselves like that blessed is us. Blessed is us when we, when we live out this life. But the truth is, none of us have actually lived out this life perfectly. None of us have taken ourselves, lived in culture, but not been absorbed in the, the mindset of culture or actually delighted perfectly in the Bible or meditated or lived a life that continually seems to prosper. None of us have actually lived that. And what this psalm is telling us is not first and foremost that this is something we have to attain, but a man has already attained it on our behalf. Blessed is the man Definitive article, the, capital T, the man, if you might say, who has done this already for us on our behalf. Some Bibles, my Bible at the, at here in, in the note at the bottom says the singular Hebrew word for man, ish, is used here to portray a, portray a representative example of a godly person. It is talking about a particular person. Blessed is the man. We don't know where he is. You might be really thinking, where's the man? Where does he live? Is he over there or is he over there? Who, who are you? Where are you? Where is this man? And what we find later, I wish I could take more time on this, but what we find later is that the man is Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. That Jesus Christ was the only man who lived in a culture of wickedness and sinfulness and scoffing. He's the only man who lived amongst his people and yet was not corrupted by his people. He was the only man who meditated perfectly day and night on the words of God, who received the blessings of God, who took his mind and had his mind so soaked in the mind of God and in the words of God and in the emotions of God that his life became completely and utterly synced from beginning to end in the thoughts and the emotions and the actions of God. So much so that he was himself the embodiment of God here on earth. He, Jesus Christ, is the only one who has yielded its fruit in its season where his leaf did not wither even through the darkest of trials and even in death itself. He meditated on the law of the Lord day and night so that in the best of times, the, the law of God, the Bible was soaking his being with blessing. And even in the worst of times, even as he was taken to be crucified on the cross, he was meditating on the scriptures so that his soul was blessed, even as all of the blessings of the external world were taken from him. His soul was blessed and he was bearing fruit, even in his crucifixion, meditating on the, on the words of God. 
loving those around him so that even in his death, even in his crucifixion, he would not be snuffed out. This tree was going to bear fruit. And on the third day, he was raised to life, eternal life, and bore much fruit. So that in his tree, in the kingdom of God, I now find shade and food and nourishment and purpose and meaning. And over two billion people today have come to find life in this tree, Jesus Christ. He is bearing fruit eternally so. He's the only one who has lived this. So we come to the Bible to find this man, the man, Jesus Christ. And as we slowly begin to see shades and glimpses of him and sometimes full-blown revelations, we find our soul blessed. I need to close there. But Trinity Church London, we need to bring out the book. If you want blessing, bring out the book. If you want to find joy, bring out the book. If you want to receive from Jesus, bring out the book. Father, thank you for giving us a book, a book of blessing. I want to pray, wash away misconceptions around the Bible. I want to pray, Lord, would you flood us with the right feeling and thinking when it comes to your word. And I'm praying that over this Lenten series, Lord, that you might bless us as the Bible is opened time and time again. Would a light shower turn into a great waterfall of blessing over us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.